Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Colossians, the third chapter, the first through the third verse. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. A war is raging all around you, and yet amazingly you may not even be aware of it. And that's because the battle is not for a piece of land or for natural resources such as gas, oil, gold, or water. The prize in this particular war is of much greater value. It's the battle for your mind. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about our text tonight in just a few moments. And that is the second verse in particular where Paul's charge, his challenge to us Christians is to set our minds, our affections on things above. And that's one of those passages where I hope this isn't at all disrespectful, it's not intended to be, but in the margin I have the initials YBH, which if you've been in any of my classes you know stands for yeah but how. And that's the tricky part. How do you set your mind on things above. What are the mechanics of that spiritual process? I want us to delve into that for just a few minutes tonight. I know one step that we need to take in making proper choices, and this is a lesson in our series on on choices, and living at our full potential is to discover the power of our thoughts and our words. So tonight we'll be talking about how to choose the right thoughts, how to set our minds on things above, how to be able to regulate our thinking in such a way that we're not dominated by worldly thoughts, we're not dominated by sinful thoughts. We've learned to regulate ourselves, discipline ourselves in order to be able to capture every thought and bring it into captivity for Christ. If that sounds biblical, that's because it is. We'll be looking at that passage also in just a moment. The enemy's number one target, we need to know, is in the arena of our thoughts. So first of all, we need to really understand where the battlefield is and what kind of of war is being waged on that battlefield. He knows that if he can control and manipulate our thoughts, then guess what? He'll be able to control and manipulate our entire lives. Because everything, in terms of foundation, is built upon our thought life. It's true that thoughts do determine actions, but it's also true that our thoughts determine attitude and also self-image. So really it's not an overstatement to say that our thoughts determine our destiny. As you think, that's the direction in which your life is going to go. You don't act, you don't even speak without first having thought about it. But then again, maybe there are times when we have to admit, maybe I should have thought longer and harder before I said what I said. But you don't say something without first having processed that in in your mind. So that's why the Bible constantly warns us to guard our minds. And, And in Matthew chapter 12 and other places, Jesus talked about how important it is that we make sure that the right things are being fed into our minds so that then when things come out of our mouth, specifically those words in terms of communication, that it is the right kind of communication. It's not worldly. It's not profane. It doesn't drag you down. It builds you up. 
That's what Paul said, Ephesians 4 and verse 29. So we have to be extremely careful, not only about what we ingest through our eyes and our ears, but also what we think about. So so think in terms of we've got to be careful about what we ingest, what we input, but also what we digest. That's the meditation part. That's the what we think about, what we allow to dominate our thought life part. If you dwell on depressing negative thoughts, guess what? You're going to live a depressing negative life. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that if you allow your mind to gravitate toward negative thoughts, then you're going to naturally find yourself gravitating toward negative people and activities and philosophies and lifestyles. Why is that? Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Solomon said that so many years ago. But folks, it is just as relevant and just as applicable in 2019 as it was when the words on that, on that book and that, that sentiment were first uh, still, still wet and Solomon had first written them. It's a biblical fact and a spiritual reality that our lives are going to follow our thoughts. So let's think tonight about that for a few minutes. There's something else we need to learn. And that is that our thoughts also control our emotions, not just what we act and what we say, but also our emotions. We we feel exactly the way we think. You'll never be really happy until you first learn to think happy thoughts. Now, that may, may sound like pop psychology, but it's not intended to be. It's a Bible fact. Conversely, it's impossible to remain discouraged unless you first think discouraging thoughts. That's why I often quote Psalm 118.24 from this pulpit. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So Solomon is telling us that we need to first make sure that we're thinking the right thing. We make the choice to rejoice every day of our lives. So much of success or failure in life begins in our minds, is influenced by what we have chosen. There's the choice part, what we have chosen to dwell on. And I'm going to appeal to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 for the proof text on that thought. We'll go back to that passage in just a moment and do a little bit of dissection on it. But that's, that's why we can look around us and we can see people who have the most to be happy. See if this is not true. You, you look around you at your sphere of influence, the people that you come in contact with on a regular basis, and you can see people who have the most to be happy about, at least from outward observation, third-person perspective. And yet they are abjectly miserable. I imagine there's probably some specific names running through your minds right now. You know people like that. And on the other hand, there are also some folks who seem to have very little that should make them happy, at least in terms of this world's definition of happy. But they have a sunny disposition. They have radiant smiles. They're always seemingly filled with joy. You like being around them. You like talking to people like that because they do, in fact, build you up. And you feel better after having uh, conversed with and being in contact with that kind of person. Why is that? I think it's because the second group of people has learned that the secret to lasting happiness is largely comprised not of, as we talked about this morning, not their circumstances or their possessions, how rich, how wealthy they might be but the attitude that they have deliberately adopted about their circumstances and their possessions. So Paul's spiritual counsel in our text is not only appropriate, in our day and time, it is tremendously needed. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. 
Yeah, but how? Well, let's discuss that. It's a foundational truth that many people in our world don't realize or they're not willing to accept the fact that they can and do need to choose their thoughts. Nobody can make us think a certain way except ourselves. I hope that we all are in tacit agreement with that premise. Nobody can make you think a certain way. Even God, the Bible teaches us, will not force us to think a certain way. And I'm convinced that the Bible at least teaches implicitly that Satan can't. I don't believe he has the power. That's not a part of the purview of his authority in this world to make you think a certain way. No matter what Flip Wilson said all those years ago about the devil made me do it. No, he can't do that. He doesn't have that kind of power. And you, you alone decide what you will entertain in the theater of your mind. Just because the enemy plants a negative, discouraging, or even a sinful thought in your mind doesn't mean that you have to water it and nurture it and coddle it and help it to grow. That is antithetical and counterproductive to everything that the Christian life stands for. No, you you can choose to cast down and dismiss that kind of thought from your mind. That is a Bible fact. If you don't believe me, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. Listen to what Paul had to say about the matter casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I think Paul intended to be general in his reference in that verse. Think about that. Everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So anything that isn't godly, anything that is not within the framework of God's will for our lives... Anything that is counterproductive to our spiritual best interest, anything against God, here's what Paul said you need to do with that kind of thought. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Literally, you put that in a cage. You imprison that. And you sequester that away from your conscious thought. That is, you, you don't entertain it. You don't dwell on it. You don't meditate on it. Your mind... Somebody has said it's similar to a a giant computer in that your brain stores everything that you have ever heard or said. Isn't that kind of scary to think that that our our brain has that capacity? I believe that. I believe that somewhere in in your brain is every thought that you have ever entertained. Now, that's good news if you're trying to find your car keys. But it's not good news if you consider the world we live in. And you consider the amount of, of smut of foul language, of ungodly concepts, and other negative input with which we are inundated every day of our lives. But simply because a destructive thought is stored in your your mental computer does not mean that you have to pull it up and run it on the monitor of your mind. But if you make the mistake of dwelling on a negative or a sinful thought, that thought is going to affect your emotions and your attitudes And if you continue to give it free reign in your mind, it is inevitably going to change and affect your actions. Now again, the Bible teaches that over and over again. I know some people who've allowed their thought life to sap the energy and the strength right out of them. And I imagine you probably know people like that as well. There isn't anything physically wrong with them. It's just what they think about. It's what they dwell on. I mean, there's no energy. There's no zest for living. There's no zeal there at all. And we've got to make sure that we understand what God's Word teaches on this so that we'll, we won't be that kind of person. And they will eventually lose all motivation to move forward in their lives in a positive direction. All because 
they don't understand that they can and need to bring their thoughts into captivity in obedience to Christ. We aren't always what we think we are, folks. But I'll guarantee you what we think we are. And so that's why this is such an important concept for each of us to grasp, and not only to grasp and to agree with, but then to implement in a practical way into our lives every day. So, so what we have to do is to take responsibility for our own actions. But in doing that, of course, it includes taking responsibility for our thoughts. As long as we keep making excuses you know, and, and blaming our family tree, blaming our environment, blaming past relationships with other people or our circumstances and, and attributing blame to God or blame to Satan or, or, or anyone or anything else, we'll never be truly free emotionally or spiritually. First step then is to accept responsibility for my life. Not just my life, but my thought life. We, we have to realize that to a large extent within the free will that God has given to each of us that we can we can control our own destinies. And yet I hear people say all the time, well, my, my, my circumstances have me down. You just don't know what's going on in my life. I hear that frequently. Maybe you hear that at work or even in your family. Actually, your circumstances don't have you down. As we talked about this morning, it's, it's your thoughts, what you think about your circumstances that have you down. And on the other hand, you can be one of the, in, in one of the biggest battles of your life and still be filled with peace and victory. Isn't that a wonderful secret? And it's not really a secret. God has given it to us in, in, in this owner's manual. I'm just saying it's time to think about what you're thinking about. And let's do that together tonight for just a few minutes. Ask yourself, what are you allowing your mind to dwell on? Are you focused on your problems? Are you constantly dwelling on things that are negative? Are you, how you view life makes all the difference in the world, especially for you. Assuming that accountability and responsibility, again, as the stage one in, in being able to win this victory. Now, obviously, we cannot ignore the problems. We can't live in denial. That's not what I'm suggesting tonight at all. We don't pretend that nothing bad ever happens to us because that's not realistic and we all know better. The Bible does teach that bad things happen to good people on occasions and good things happen to bad people. If I remember correctly, Psalm 73 deals with that at length. That was Asaph's dilemma of why that the wicked were prospering constantly, he said. And, and yet God's people trying to live right and do right. He said, I look around and, and they're suffering. And, 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 and when I went into the, into the temple of God, my feet almost slipped. That is, he almost lost his faith over that issue. There's still people wrestling with that hundreds of years later. Pretense then, acting as if bad things don't happen to good people, that's, that's not the answer. That's not what I'm recommending tonight. Nor is playing semantic games to make ourselves seem to be even more spiritual than we really are. No, if you're sick, it's, it's, it's good and okay to go ahead and admit that. But keep your thoughts on the healer and not on the illness. Does that make any sense at all? I hope it does. Even when we're sick, you, you don't pretend like you're not sick. But your thoughts need to be on and grateful to a God who has created a body in such a way that we can get over that. At least most things. And if not, then guess what? We'll get to live with God for, for the rest of eternity. 
But here's again a matter of focus. If your body is tired, if your spirit is weary, fine, we all understand that. It all it happens to every one of us. Listen to me. Sometimes, some of you need to write this down. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is get some rest. You know, the, the Bible teaches that, uh, that Jesus had a real hard time convincing his early disciples of that. I, I don't find one occasion where the disciples ever said to Jesus, you know, let's go to a mountain somewhere and get some rest. No, it was always the other way around. Jesus was constantly saying, I'm either going or we all need to go somewhere to a mountain apart and get some rest. But when you do that, you focus your thoughts on the one who has promised that they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Think about it in terms of the renewal of your strength and your spiritual well-being. Tough times, they come to everybody. And Jesus said, of course, in John 16, 33, in this life you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. He wasn't saying that troublesome times won't come. He was saying that when, when they do, we still need to, in that circumstance, choose the right attitudes. So we can choose to believe that he's greater than our problems. We can choose to think the right thoughts, even in the worst situations of our lives. And when you're down, listen to me, please. When you're down, when you are disappointed, when you are discouraged, and even when you're despondent, spend time in God's word. There is nothing that I could recommend to you more highly when there are difficult times in your life to get into God's word. Because as we discussed this morning, there are all kinds of promises and provisions that God has supplied specifically to his people, and yet his people don't know about all of them. We don't know how to cash the check because we don't know that he ever wrote a check and that he signed it with his authority at the bottom. So spend some time in God's word because as you dwell on the promises of God's word, you're just going to, you're going to be filled with hope. That's God's personal guarantee. You'll develop a positive attitude of faith and you will draw in the victory. Think of it like metal filings being pulled across a desk by a magnet. You'll begin to draw in the good things of God just by virtue of the fact that you're spending time in his word. And yet a lot of people still say, as soon as my situation turns around, I'll cheer up. As soon as I get out of this mess, I'll have a better attitude. Unfortunately, folks, I'm here to tell you that's not going to happen. That's because you have the whole process turned around. That's all backward. You need to cheer up first. You need to develop a new attitude first, and then God will help you turn your situation around. If you don't believe that, read in the old, when you're spending time in the Word, you look at Job, you look at Daniel, you look at Joseph, and you see which came first. Did they get out of their bad situations and then all of a sudden they're praising God and thankful for the way that God has taken care of them? Or is it the other way around? And you know the answer to that. As long as you harbor those, that poor, defeated outlook, you will continue to live a poor and defeated life. Scripture says, I love this, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts or desires. So that's one option. You can live like you have always lived. You can continue to live in a worldly way, making the same decisions, using the same language as everybody else in the world. Or, this is exactly what we're talking about. Paul says we can be renewed 
in the spirit of our minds. This, by the way, is Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24, if you want to look at it more closely later, and I hope you will. And then he ends in verse 24 by saying, And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. But did you see the hub of that spiritual wheel? It, it, it is adopting a brand new spirit. It is thinking different. It is refusing to be poured into the mold of the thinking of the world. And you can't sit back passively and expect this new man that Paul describes here to just show up. It doesn't work that way. You can't go through life in a negative frame of mind and expect anything to change for the better. No, you have to, you have to strip off that old man, Paul says, with his old way of thinking. You have to put on the fresh new person, the new man in Christ, with a new attitude, with a fresh way of looking at everything. A whole new worldview is what Paul is talking about. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, you have to change your thought patterns and you start thinking about the good things of God. And, and when you lose focus and start dwelling on old, worldly, negative thoughts, sinful thoughts, it becomes easy to get discouraged. And folks, let me just warn you, it makes it a lot easier then to go back to the old sinful way of living. And, and, and allow me to add this, even though this is not in my outline anywhere. I know that is true from observation as well as the assurance of knowing that it is in God's word. I have, in my years of being a Christian and a gospel preacher, seen countless people, sadly, who began going back into the old world. They have forgotten that they were washed from their sins. They crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame, as the Hebrews writer describes it. And it all starts with the way they think. All starts in the mind. Start thinking about the things that you used to do when you were in the world. Start thinking about and entertaining the notion of some of the things that folks are suggesting in the break work room down at work. And, and Paul says it's not going to work. You cannot live a successful spiritual life. You cannot be victorious that way. You've got to make sure, you've got to determine, you've got to commit yourself to thinking the way God wants you to think. Jesus really meant it when he said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. John chapter 8 verse 32. We need, we've got some folks in the church that need to be liberated in the spirit of their minds. And I love what he adds a few verses later in verse 36 when he says, And if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Isn't that wonderful? What a great verse that is. You have not ever really been liberated and emancipated from the domination of sin and sinful thoughts until you've been set free by the Son of God himself. That's what he's saying in verse 36. If the Son makes you free, then you shall be free indeed. And it's the truth of God that will set us free. The world thinks that you and I are in bondage because we dare to live disciplined lives. And we recognize the validity of what God meant and what he said when he said, stay away from certain things that we talked about last Sunday night. But you and I know the truth, and it's the truth that will make you free. And the truth is, if you live in bondage to sin, you are a slave no matter what you call yourself. You can call yourself a playboy all you want to, but folks, you are a slave. And only Jesus Christ can liberate us and emancipate us from that kind of bondage. And that's good news. 
For those of us who've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and have had his righteousness imputed to and laid to our charge so that we can, we can be credited with the righteousness of Jesus himself. You see, as, as soon as a person becomes a Christian, as soon as that person gets out of the baptistry and before they ever dry off and put back on their street clothes, they, they need to realize what we talked about at the beginning of this lesson, that there is a war going on. And it is not, Paul said, Ephesians 6, verse 12, it is not a, it's not a war that involves flesh and blood. This is not a war that is fought with guns and hand grenades. It is a battle that is being fought for the minds of men and women. I'd stop right there if I thought that we all had a full grasp of that, but I struggle with that. And I sense that others do as well. Let me say just a couple of other things before we quit. Because that's why Paul's inspired counsel in our text is so very important and so very necessary. I call you back to Colossians 3 verse 1. Set your minds on things above. If you as a child of God tonight have not been doing that, let me challenge you to start doing that. To start spending time in the word. Start developing your prayer life. So that you can do literally what Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 has suggested by inspiration. And that is pray without ceasing. Never let there be a time in your life when you're not a praying person. Don't be afraid to approach the throne room of God with any prayerful petition. I, I think God is just, he's just waiting to hear from us. And no matter what it is, even though we may consider it to be trivial, God wants to hear from us. He, he already knows what's going on in our lives. He knows the smallest details, but he wants to, to hear from us, just like a loving parent does with a son or daughter. I, I may know everything that's already going on in, in their lives, but I want to hear from them anyway. I, I want to hear that from their mouths, and that's the way our loving father is. That's why Paul's inspired counsel then says, set your mind on things above. And notice that that's something we can do. We can continually choose day in and day out, 24 hours a day, to keep our minds set on higher things. What are those higher things? Well, I'm not going to give you anything deeply insightful tonight. I just think that there's the positive things of God. That is, thinking about God's provisions and his promises. He gave us a list in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I promised a moment ago we'd return to it. Remember that list says, whatever things are true or noble or just or pure or lovely or of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything about those things that are praiseworthy, meditate on those things. There's a starter list. It, it didn't even come in kit form. It's already put together. Here are some things that will get you started if you really are intent and committed to setting your mind on things above. Want to know why we're living in such an ungodly negative world? Want to know why people are shaming each other on social media and blaming each other for about everything and trashing each other on social media and in the news? Want to know why suicide is pandemic among our precious young people? It's because we're no longer thinking on praiseworthy things about others and about ourselves and about our circumstances, we are not setting our mind as a nation or as a world on things above. It's about the little things we choose to think about, not just the big things. I hope you understand that. 
We've got to regulate this even about the smallest things. If you're stuck in traffic, let me give you an illustration that I think everybody here can relate to. If you're stuck in traffic on I-85, let's say you're headed toward Atlanta. All of a sudden, everybody comes to a standstill, and and you've just begun your... This has happened to me, and I don't know how many times. You're 10 minutes into a journey of several hours, and you're already stopped in traffic. And you assume and find out later that it's true, it's because there's been an accident ahead. But the reality still is, you're stuck in traffic. Let me tell you what. You can either fume and and spurt and pound on the steering wheel and curse the unfairness of it all. Or you can praise God that you're not the one that was in the accident. And then you can say a prayer for the benefit and welfare of those who are. You see, we have to especially guard during times of adversity, during times of personal challenge. It's not tough when things are going our way. You probably noticed that. When everything is already, you know, blue skies and rainbows, it's not tough at all to be thankful, think right thoughts, praise God. But when trouble strikes, often the first thought that comes to our minds are not higher things. They are not positive thoughts. Negative, defeatist thoughts bombard us from from every possible angle. And right then and there, we have to choose to trust God for the good things and not allow ourselves to be down and discouraged or worse yet, to be despondent and give up. You see, in some way, our mind is similar to the transmission in the car. We have a forward gear and we have a reverse gear. And if you're driving that car, you get to decide in what direction it's going to go. It doesn't take any more effort to go forward than it does to go backward. It is all in the decision process. In a similar way, we determine by our choices which way our lives are going to go. And if you choose to stay focused on the positive and keep your mind set on the good things of God, I'm giving you heaven's assurance here, all the forces of darkness are not going to be able to keep you from moving forward and fulfilling your God-given destiny. You've got God's promise for that, but if you make the mistake of dwelling on the negative and and focusing on the problems and focusing on all the impossibilities, it's very similar to putting that car in reverse and, and backing away from the victory that God has in store for you. And remember... And and I'm deliberately ending this study with this passage because I hope you go home with it in the forefront of your minds. 1 John 4, verse 4. Just heard heard a song about it on the radio just a couple of days ago. Greater, John says, is writing to Christians here, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Spoiler alert. When the end of time comes, we win. And that's really good news. Things look dark now. But it's not the last page in the book of your life. You keep the faith. You recommit yourself every morning to living the way God would have you to live. And if it seems like everybody around you and the people that you love the most are making wrong decisions, you determine that you're going to be the one sitting on the front porch if that prodigal ever comes home. You don't go to the far country. That's the last thing you need to do or that they need for you to do. You determine to stay in God's will 
live the life that he would have you to live, starting with making sure that our thinking is right. I, I'm not through with these thoughts, but I don't have time to say everything I want to say tonight, so we'll save these for a future lesson. But I, I want to end with, with the William James quote. Mo, many of you know him if you've taken Psych 101 in college or whatever. He is known as the father of American psychology. And the one quotation from him that I remember distinctly having read decades ago is this. The greatest discovery, Dr. James says, the greatest discovery of my generation is that people can change their lives by changing their attitudes. He's exactly right about that. Because that's what the Bible teaches. It was lunch hour on an average day on a construction job in a large hotel in St. Louis. And as the workmen were eating their sack lunches, of course, they were talking to one another, as, as they will do during their lunch hour. And one of them complained about how much, I mean, how deeply he hated his job and how he dreaded coming to work every morning. But one of the other guys took a completely different approach. In fact, he said that he enjoyed his work because he felt that he was contributing to building the finest hotel in the city. Two guys, two attitudes. One of them enjoyed his work, the other one hated it. But it was all in choosing to have the right attitude. You know, those who look at Christianity as the dreary performance of duty has missed the real meaning of service. If I think I am obligated, if I think in terms of my spiritual service that these are the things that I have to do, I have missed the whole point. Emerson said nothing was ever accomplished without enthusiasm. That, that's true of Christian service too, folks. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might, for there's no work or device or wisdom in the grave where you're going. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10 says, If we do not truly desire to do good, if we, we will not enjoy being children of God. Why is that? Well, it's because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Goodness comes from the inside. Faith in the heart makes itself visible through the actions of our lives. And when our lives are inspired with belief in God, then that love for God can be seen in what we do, what we think, and how we live. Tonight, if you are not yet there, you have not yet made that conscious decision to follow Jesus Christ, to walk in his footsteps, to be his servant for the rest of your days, we want to encourage you that we don't just sing this song, I remind you over and over again, we don't just sing this song as a good way to end a lesson. It is a specific encouragement to you to start your Christian life right now. Turn your back on sin. Confess Jesus as God's son. Be baptized to have, and I know this sounds so spurious when I say it like this, but it really has all the meaning of the universe. He will wipe your spiritual slate clean. You can start over. No sins will be laid to your charge. He'll wipe away every one of them and wash them clean in the blood of the Lamb, while we stand, while we sing.